available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. You know the Pac-12. It's the Conference of Champions. That's where we got our name, the Podcast of Champions. And we have some championship listeners, Dave. So they've been interacting with us. We love it. If you want to email us, you want to tell us what your thoughts are on the Pac-12, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com. Or if you want to tweet at us, you can do that at Pac-12podcast. Our website, as always, Pac-12podcast.com. You can find all the old episodes, uh, all of our picks, all that kind of stuff. And if you want to leave us a voicemail or send us a text, you can do that by calling or dialing on your phone, 424-532-0678. A lot of ways to get a hold of us, Dave. So many ways, so many people are still choosing all of those ways, except for voicemail. We're yeah. not getting many of those. No. All right? So this is a challenge to you all. Look, we're in the off-season, or, you know, sort of the off-season now. If if you remember last off-season, that was, that was a wild and dirty time. All right? No topics were off uh, topic. Is that? No? Sure. That doesn't work, but sure, let's go with it. <laughs> um, nothing was off topic, which means... Uh, we need your voicemails. We need we need we need weird things from you. Whatever you want to tell us, we want to hear it. Give us a call. Yeah, that's great. I love the pitch, Dave. Thank you for that. And uh, we're gonna have a great show today. So we got a lot of your questions. We have John Canzano. So uh, he's of, of the bald faith, bald face truth fame. Uh, he's with he writes for the Oregonian. We're gonna talk to him uh, just in a couple minutes about all the stuff Pac-12. He's been all over this. Uh, some of the shortcomings of the conference, I guess you could say. Um, so we're going to talk to him. We're going to answer your questions. Uh, but we got some breaking news to talk about, Dave. We have some huge breaking news. Uh, Colorado has hired Mel Tucker, uh, former Georgia defensive coordinator, former longtime Nick Saban assistant, uh, Jim Tressel assistant, assisted basically everybody who's good in college football is now the head coach at Colorado. Um, this was, this was a big move. Pretty, a, uh, oh, sorry. Pretty, pretty good. I would say. Yeah. I like the I like the hire. Um, if you, I think uh, our buddy Adam Munster tiger did a nice uh, video. If you want to check it out, like kind of a, an analysis of the, the press conference and, you know, press conferences for like, you know, the, 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 the introduction of the new head coach, they're always upbeat, but they really felt he had a lot of great energy. There wasn't a lot of salesmanship going on, and he's calling it a, quote, no excuses program as of right now. And uh, they were talking about, yeah, there, there's been some excuses in the past, but it looks like he's going to come in, Dave, and just be like, no nonsense, no excuses. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, and you know, I, and I'm looking at the that staff he's putting together so far, and 
You wouldn't say any real flashy names here so far. Um, offensive coordinator is Jay Johnson, who, from what I gather, uh, was the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Lafayette for five years, then uh, coordinated a Minnesota offense, and then landed at Georgia's quality control guy, who was also uh, like a big factor in the offensive coordinating, but he wasn't the offensive coordinator at Georgia. Um, he was uh, behind uh, Jim Chaney. Um don't know what to make of that hire exactly. I don't know what I don't know the specifics on what offense he was running at Louisiana. I know um, they had some good rushing attacks. The offenses as a whole not rated super highly, um, and uh, he only had the one year at Minnesota, so hard to take too much from it. Um, but you know, I I, I think I, I think it's a good head coaching hire. I think you're hiring for pedigree. You're hiring for Saban Tree there, and it's worked out. For a lot of people, um, Georgia in particular, hiring Saban Tree, um, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see how that mixes with the Pac-12. Um, that was a big kind of thing uh, theme from that press conference was, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be tough. We're gonna be, you know, a, a, a school that nobody's gonna run over. Um, and you know that no excuses thing. I think that was the main theme from it. But I'm curious. I'm interested to see it. Um, and uh, I, I'm I'm interested to see what kind of offense they do end up running. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting tell for a defensive head coach. Yeah. And I, I think this is a hire. Uh, Rick George said, you know, it's a really good job. I mean, he said it was one of the best jobs in the country. Um, and you're getting a guy who's no nonsense, who's got a pretty good mix of experience in the NFL and uh, college and working for some uh, really good, uh, especially college head coaches. Um, he was an interim coach for the the Jaguars and, uh, uh, what was it? It was 2011. Uh, so he went two and three, uh, as the, you know, so there's some, a little bit of coaching, head coaching experience there, but I, I like the hire. Um, I'm really curious to see, uh, you know, what he does going forward and how this program evolves. I don't think it's going to be a, a first or last sort of thing. I kind of feel like he's going to be middle of the, the PAC 12 South or, you know, or a little bit better than what he's done. Uh, what Colorado's done ex- outside of the one year that they won it. And then have it move forward and get steadily better. I guess that's all you can ask. But it, it seems like a really interesting hire to me. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's probably the case that Colorado used ZipRecruiter. Um, you know what's not smart, Ryan? What's not smart, Dave? Hiring from the Rick Neuheisel coaching tree. <laughs> Nick Saban, on the other hand, that is smart. Uh, but you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash POC to hire the right person and the right person. That's that's somebody who probably worked for Nick Saban, Mel Tucker. Hell yeah. Uh, unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. If you love this show, show your support for it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash POC. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And it because it's the smartest way to hire, we're pretty sure Colorado did it because Colorado is uh, the best school in the land. Wait, so unofficially, that's what Rick George did. He went to ZipRecruiter slash POC, ZipRecruiter.com slash POC, found Mel Tucker, and it's all going to work out. That's great. Yeah, I that's and that's what, 
that's what you got to do. When you're hiring a coach, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash POC and look, you end up with Mel Tucker. You end up with Nick Saban's, you know, maybe not like right-hand man, but it's like left-hand guy. Yeah. I think he worked for him like three different times. Yeah, that's something. That's a thing. I'm curious if Old Miss uh, went to ZipRecruiter too because they end up picking up, uh, which I think is a great hire, Mike McIntyre to be their defensive coordinator. So the former Colorado. Isn't that awesome? Hey, and you know what? Colorado bucked a trend here because typically when a defensive coach fails as a head coach, they then go and hire an offensive coach. But no, they doubled down on defense. You have to. Yeah, that's almost like a rule. Yeah, and they didn't do it. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, A couple other notes. Uh, Arizona State, so I saw this tweet. I forget who it was. I apologize. I'm not uh, giving credit, but it was uh, Arizona State. So we're going to talk about, we're going to preview the bowl game. There's a bowl game coming up. So we're going to preview that after we talk to uh, John Canzano, the the Vegas Bowl. But ASU is starting uh, their spring practice on February 4th. Is that just because it's like too hot later on? I mean, that seems a little, seems a little early to me. So when we were talking about this last year, and this, I'm going to flash a little bit of memory for everyone out there, and they're going to be really impressed. Uh, there's, I think, two things. First, yes, it's going to be much less, you know, sweltering. They can actually maybe like practice outside and do some stuff. Um, two, um, it's an old, uh, the Duke head coach, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, it's an old theory of his. You have spring practice early if there is a big injury of any sort, that player has a chance of coming back by the season. Um, but if you have it later, then it gets a little bit trickier to do that. So it's also timing for the potential of disaster. Uh, David Cutcliffe. Is, uh, Cutcliffe is yeah, there about. you go. There okay. you go. Yeah. Um, interesting. All right. So, yeah, I think we did talk about that last time. And uh, I did not remember it. You did, but that's good. I remembered something, Ryan. Yes. Did you see that right there? Well, you are like, Impressive. yes. You're like half my age, so I don't know. Well, not quite, but. No, no, I guess nowhere there. That doesn't seem true. You don't, you don't look a day over sixty-five. But you just, you're like, you just had a a milestone-ish birthday, right? I turned thirty-three. Okay, so it wasn't too milestoney. Okay, uh, yeah. So I'm uh, fourteen years older than you. All right, so it's not too bad. You're uh, very youthful, forty-seven. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. We try. Uh, Southern California helps helps the lifestyle. What other yeah. thing? Um, so there's some. You know, we talked about Justin Herbert before for Oregon. It seemed like it was a foregone conclusion that he would uh, opt out and uh, go, you know, go to the NFL and be a top five pick and all that. I guess there's some question that he might come back now. I, I don't know what you've heard about that. It seemed kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I if I were him, I would probably come back. Um, I think once you get in, t- he's got all the potential, right? He's got the size, he's got the arm, he's got the accuracy. Um, but this year probably didn't go exactly the way he would have wanted. Um, I, I, I think there were some, some flaws in his game that might get shown a little bit more on film. Um, I think, you know, you can point to their passing game issues, whether it was, they just have absolutely no other receiver talent or did Justin Herbert tend to lock on to Dylan Mitchell? Um, and I, I don't think it's completely one or completely the other. Um, and I think maybe developing a little bit more in terms of his overall field vision um, and, you know, uh, getting off of his primary read. Um, I think those would be good areas for him to continue to work. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if he comes back. Um and I think that might even be a good move for him to actually be a top five pick because right now 
I don't know. I think he would be maybe overdrafted at that point. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if he did end up getting drafted in the top five if he went up this year. I'm just not sure he's entirely ready. Um, so I would I would be in favor of him returning, um, but obviously everyone has their own situation, and uh, you know he he might need to make a different decision. But yeah, I think I, I think it would make sense. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think uh, you're that talented. You're people think you're a top five pick, then you probably should go. That's usually my. Cause then you might come back and if they, you know, if he struggles again, is he still going to be a top five pick? But I just remember at like media day, all the NFL people just were fawning over him. I think they, they feel like he's going to be that kind of a guy. So uh, just come out and, <laughs> and go make your money. All right. Okay. Okay. As promised, we got our special guest, John Canzano. So you can follow him on Twitter, John C A N Z A N O. BFT, not BFT stands for Bald Face Truth. So you can go to baldfacetruth.com to check out his stuff. He's a columnist for the Oregonian. He's also hosts a radio show on 1029 The Game. And this show is the Bald Face Truth. He's also a contributor on television if you want to watch him there, KGW Sports. John, thanks so much for coming on and uh, talking to Pac 12 with us. You bet. I've been talking to a lot of Pac 12 fans in the last couple of weeks and I know that you guys uh, have got a huge audience, and uh, I'm uh, eager to kick this around with you guys. Yeah, you uh, just for everyone who I don't know living under a rock or whatever. Uh, John <laughs> wrote an incisive uh, four-part series about the Pac-12 um, at the end of November, um, basically going through the whole financial situation of the Pac-12, the refereeing situation at the Pac-12, and just so many of the issues that are top from top down um, throughout the Pac-12. First thing, I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, what was the most, I don't know, most surprising thing you uncovered in the midst of the reporting on this story, or what was the thing that stood out to you the most? Well, I think, and I don't want to speak for all fans, but I think the the bigger picture for me was I, I like a lot of PAC 12 observers were seeing a lot of symptoms of problems. And so, you know, I, I was looking at the fact that the PAC 12 hadn't been in the playoff or anywhere near the playoff. And we're, we're going to miss it again this year. I was looking at television deal. I was looking at revenues, but so I, I think it's one of these things where like I was, I was looking for an answer to explain the bigger picture. Like why, has the Pac-12 not mattered nationally or why has it fallen behind the other conferences? And I think the part one of the series that really focused on the, the numbers is where I got my eyes opened up where you saw, we all knew they were getting less revenue. The distribution from the Pac-12 is about $29 million a year. The uh, big 10 will get about $50 million a year per university next year. The SEC is getting 41 million. So I think that number we all kind of knew, but then when I started looking at expenses, the commissioner's salary, I think, is the biggest one for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner, is getting $4.8 million a year. You could add up Jim Delaney of the Big Ten and Greg Sankey of the SEC, and they still don't get the $4.8 million together. So that one hits you over the head. The guy who's doing the worst at his job among the Power Five peers is getting double the money of the other guys. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny. I don't. You were up there at the Pac-12 title game, right? And that the yes. the press conference for Larry Scott that, that happens, you know, hour or whatever, a couple hours or something before kickoff. Uh, it pretty much was just everyone asking 
questions about your four-part series. I don't know if you got to ask a question in there, but what did you think of how that all went down? I mean, first of all, you guys know this. When you write something like I wrote, you feel like you got to be in the room. You got to walk back in there and, you know, and if there's a question, you got to answer it. But I went there thinking that I might not ask a question. I did not end up asking a question because I felt like Larry Scott's uh, answers were pathetic. And I think fans saw right through it. But yeah, the, uh, almost the first question out of the gate was, you know, I think it was the first question, Larry, what do you think of the series? But that was really interesting too, because the PAC 12 edited the transcript of the news conference. So there were some things that were said in that news conference that were edited out. Oh. They also did not stream it and they did not televise it. Now they had planned originally to stream it on PAC 12.com, but they edited out, uh, they edited the questions that were asked and they edited some of the responses and they didn't make it factually incorrect, but I found it interesting that they edited out my name or the reference to the series. The original question uh, was edited to kind of tighten it up. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. I also know that they were going to stream it and decided earlier in the day that it might not go favorably for Larry. And so they decided not to stream that news conference. So they sent out an email earlier in the day that I got a copy of um, that was uh, really interesting to me that, they're worried so much about the message and Larry saying that, you know, he, his general answer was that there were some mischaracterizations in the piece. And when pressed on that by a reporter from Seattle or Utah, I can't remember which, he just sort of fell back on the idea that the conference is a media network and not just a football conference or not just a basketball conference. And, uh, you know, I would have followed up with that by saying, you know, look at your numbers. You're nowhere near ESPN or Fox as a network. So why are your expenses in line with ESPN and Fox? Because that's the argument he tried to make. Yeah. Truth is, the truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> travels, travels first class. No, he goes in a chartered plane, and he and he drives it all over the conference. And he likes to, you know, get home, and he likes to, you know, the expense reports that I that I uh, got to see that I couldn't publish because the conference wouldn't, wouldn't give me the reports, but I had, you know, some of the expenses that he has run up over the years. It, it, he lived lavish. And, and the truth of the matter is the whole conference is designed not to win football games, but it's designed to keep Larry's job and to keep Larry making money. I mean, he set it up beautifully. He's done a masterful job of, of putting himself in position to succeed. And I, I think that's a real frustration for fans. And he's and uh, touching on that image conscious thing. There was also the video f from when he announced that, "Hey, everyone, congratulations on doing your jobs. I just got a five year extension on my contract." Um, <laughs> they they made a strong effort to get that removed um, from. I think it might have been embedded in the Oregonian piece, or it was on Twitter. Uh, um, they took it down from YouTube, uh, but then it was reposted. Uh, I think on Vimeo. Yeah. But, but uh, that was wild. What's your sense uh, from your reporting on this or maybe any conversations you've had since then that you talked about the CEO group um, and in particular um, Ray from Oregon State, Michael Crow from Arizona State and uh, UCLA Chancellor Gene Block and how they are kind of the, 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 the guys who are more or less approving of the job that Scott is doing. What's your sense of one? Have they rethought anything since maybe this story came out, or any of the embarrassments of the season? And two, what would make them rethink things? 
I think, you know, the three that you mentioned, those are uh, Larry Scott's allies. And I, and I have been asked time and again, why do they support Larry Scott? I think it's because they were the, they're the only three original presidents that hired Scott that are left. It's been a ton of turnover. I think there's a little bit, especially in the case of Ed Ray, a little bit of, I want to be right about this guy that's going on with that group. I don't think it's necessarily uh, anything sinister, but I think if you ask yourself and you look hard at who are the CEO group, these are academics. These are not diehard, unhinged college football fans that have been put in the seats as university presidents. They're smart people, but I think that they've always viewed athletics as a playground that they don't really understand. Um, and, you know, Larry Scott, to his credit, came in and he was the right hire at the time they hired him nine years ago. He did a lot of forward thinking things. That original deal that he got done with Fox and ESPN was a pretty good deal for the, for the league. But I think it sort of shifted on him and the landscape has shifted to the point where you don't need that kind of leader anymore. They need somebody who is going to negotiate a great digital rights package. They need somebody who is going to lead the conference and be visionary in how they lead the conference. But, uh, you know, the right move would have been to change president or change commissioners about three or four years ago when his contract was up. So, you know, he's not the right guy anymore, but I think that that, that core group has eroded to the point where it's, it's, it's mostly Michael Crow and Ed Ray, which is weird. Like Oregon state's president, is probably the most influential member of that CEO group. And it's weird because Oregon State's not good. Yeah. So that that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But what I really felt in the aftermath of the series is there is a new group of presidents. That's, there's a new alliance forming if this is a game of Survivor. And I think it's an alliance of Colorado and Utah and Cal and possibly uh, Stanford and uh, USC is just is sort of rudderless in that president role right now. But I think the newer members of the conference are sort of forming together. Washington State is in that group as well. And they're asking Washington's in that group. They're asking a lot of tough questions. And that could be a strength moving forward where they hold Scott more accountable. Maybe they make a change with the commissioner when that when that change is right, because he has run um, unguarded and unchecked for several years. And his salary and his expenses and the conference expenses uh, demonstrate that. The uh, one of the parts of the uh, four part, you know, the four part piece that you did with the officiating that just seemed to get, I mean, people keep bringing it up because it's this major concern. Uh, and I think you wrote something about the something fishy going on in the conference headquarters, talking about how tra- transparent they've been. Uh, they did invite you to come check it out. I don't know. Uh, there were some ground rules there, though. Did you ever go, or is that something that you're still thinking about doing to talk about all the uh, how the officiating stuff works behind the scenes in the Pac-12? Yeah, part two was mainly centered on my visit to the command center. And, and I went, and I was well aware going in. You know, they said, no video. Um, I'll, uh, I'll be able to talk to, uh, they gave me uh, the head of officiating, uh, David Coleman, but only for the, it was supposed to be a 15 minute interview. I wasn't supposed to be able to talk to Woody Dixon. Um, I could interview Bill Richardson, who is the head of replay. Um, but uh, ba- mainly I was going to be able to observe and they brought me in. Uh, it was about week nine of the season. So uh, during that week, Arizona state was playing UCLA, Washington state was playing Colorado. And those were the two games that I really focused on watching. And 
you know, I got, you know, when someone comes over to my house, we clean up like the night before, like crazy, you know, you know, we're all running around the house, (laughs) cleaning everything up. You know, I don't know how you do it in your house, but that's, you know, that's how we do it. I got the sense that they had done some of that. Like they had made sure that everybody had talking points. Uh, It was going to be a very controlled visit. But I'll tell you from the minute I walked in there, what they didn't count on was me looking around and observing the rest of the office. And what I got was that is a really nice building that they're in. It's a $6.9 million a year rent that comes with that building. Uh, you know, the big 10 headquarters is 1.5 million a year. SEC is 300,000. It cost them in the last fiscal year. It's a huge expense. So I started looking around, looking at the square footage, looking at the offices, and what I noticed, too, was the lay of the land. Larry Scott's office in proximity to the staffers who were in cubicles. It's very much like an imperial empire in there. And <laughs> I, it, struck me, it struck me that if you were like a staffer who was sitting in a cubicle, you wouldn't like Larry Scott. And what I found after doing some reporting and contacting some people who worked there is there were a lot of people who had negative things to say, who told me that the culture was toxic, that there was a division between the network side of the building and the headquarters side of the building that um, Larry's video came up that you mentioned earlier, you know, here was Larry Scott at the PAC 12 tournament in March of this last year, going to make a big announcement. And, you know, they sent out an email, Larry's got a major announcement tomorrow. Everybody's buzzing that the direct TV thing must, must've been solved. That's a big, that's the biggest announcement you could think of. They were, everybody was so happy. And you've got a lot of staffers there who are living two or three to an apartment because they cannot afford to live in downtown San Francisco. And they get a video from Larry saying, congratulations, I got a five-year extension. <laughs> and, and it just fell flat. And they had to, in the wake of that, contract with a company that came in to try to repair some of the culture. And, you know, that, that just... It's, it strikes you as you look around the building that this is not a cheap endeavor. And how is this helping and benefiting the conference members? I don't know. I ultimately think it doesn't. But I got to see the replay process while I was there. They have some really competent people. Uh, Bill Richardson, who's the head replay official, is competent. I talked to the guys who were actually working the games and logging. Mike Ortiz, who's in the, in the room during the replay, is a guy who is a former video uh, coordinator at Oregon State in Colorado and Washington. He's an expert. He's really good at what he does. But it struck me, too, that it was like a Buffalo Wild Wings where, like, there's just some guys sitting in the room watching football and going, what do you think? Is that targeting? You know, and they can stop the game on a dime from, from where they are. The technology they have is phenomenal. But also right next door is Woody Dixon, who – as at the center of that controversy, it was supposed to be nowhere near that replay booth. He's still sitting within five yards of the replay booth. Wow. And that is, that is a problem if you're the conference. He should have been fired on September 21st or wherever he interfered, and he's still there. Yeah, it's, it seems, I mean, from your reporting, kind of reading between the lines and from what other people are saying, that wasn't a first-time, only-time issue whatsoever. Um what do you get the sense that anything actually substantive changed with their policies after that, or if it was more of, oh, we're just going to slap some guys on the wrist and hope this blows over type deal? 
I think um, they're so they're very reaction conscious, like they're image conscious. So their focus is not on process; it's on perception. So I don't think that they have addressed the issues that they needed to address. Um, in part four of the series, I document another occasion in which Woody Dixon had contact with a replay official. Um, I also talked to Tony Correnti, who was the former head of officials who quit during the middle of the season. And I talked to people around him and, um, you know, I can safely draw the conclusion that Tony Correnti quit because of interference from Woody Dixon. He was getting hassled by Woody Dixon. You've got a Harvard tennis player who's your commissioner. You've got a Harvard lawyer, Woody Dixon, who is your head of football. Neither one of those guys knows anything about football. That's a problem. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's crazy. And to get some of the stuff, because you're getting company line, you're getting like this propaganda message coming out of the Pac-12. You have to talk to former, I know Tony Correnti was not allowed to really speak with the media, right? Because of his NFL um, contracts and stuff. But like you talked to, I believe it was you talked to Greg Byrne, uh, the former athletic director from Arizona, who's now at Alabama. And he had some pretty interesting things to say about the Pac-12 too. Yeah, Greg Byrne did a radio interview in Tucson uh, just a couple of days ago, um, and he basically said that the conference leadership, who's talking about Larry Scott, was not cooperative, did not seem like they wanted to work together to fix problems. And what I found out is, you know, as I began uh, publishing part one, of course, more people reached out, and I end up talking with Chris Hill, the former athletic director at Utah, who was very well respected. And um, you know, part four has this really interesting anecdote that happened uh, about four or five years ago when they were meeting. The athletic directors meet with Larry Scott, the conference commissioner, and I had three athletic directors who were in the room who told me that Chris Hill got up and raised the same exact questions that I had raised in part one, talking about the expenses, why is the headquarters in San Francisco, why not somewhere a little cheaper, save some money, pass that on to the members. Um, why, uh, why are the expenses of the network so high? Why are the salaries so high? Um, and was told by Larry Scott, you're lucky for what you get, sit down. And that <laughs> the athletic directors in the conference do not like Larry Scott. The problem is the athletic directors hold no voting rights in how the conference is governed. It's all university presidents. So Larry Scott has just done a masterful job of managing the 12 university presidents in that's why he's in power. It, 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 every detail from this, it's such a great reported story. A everyone out there, if you haven't read this thing, I mean, read every single part and every single word. It's, it's fantastic stuff. Um, but everything that comes out about Larry Scott just casts him, like to my eye, as the most insular, uh, just egotistical guy who has just, it's not even just tone deaf. I think that like, it goes way beyond that. He just does not seem at all in tune with anything going on uh, um, around him. It's it, it's it's almost bizarre to read about this guy because, uh, like you were saying, at the very beginning when he was, you know, working on expansion, um, talking a very good game through those first two or three years, uh, he did look like the future of conference commissioners. But now, I mean, this – this sounds like a guy who who's just seen his head balloon to sizes three or four times too big for him. One of the things I couldn't really get into the piece, but I think I feel comfortable talking about here is 
that this is not the first time that he's been uh, accused of overspending or maybe lining up things to benefit himself rather than the entity he's supposed to represent. When he was in charge of the Women's Tennis Association, uh, there were some charges levied at him that um, you know he was paid on a uh, incentive-based uh, program that was his contract with tennis, and he was um, taking on some tournaments and agreeing to hold tournaments in locations that were not favorable for the conference or for the association, but would get him a bigger bonus. So, you know, people with the Women's Tennis Association sort of ran him off and were happy that he left because they didn't feel like he was acting in the best interest of the WTA. They felt like he was acting in his own best interest. And I think that has carried over to the Pac-12. Like, he did some good things. Like, give him credit for expansion. He got the right two members that he added. Give him credit for that first ESPN-Fox deal. He got that right. But I think he's fallen behind now, and he's he's now pitching the idea that this negotiation in 2024 is huge, right? Uh, you know, this is going to be it for the conference. They've got they're going to be unencumbered. They're going to have their digital rights and their TV rights. They're going to own them both. They're going to be able to get the best possible deal. Well, I my theory on that is that he has set that up as, hey, 2024 is the year. Well, his contract runs out in 2022. So what he's going to pitch this Pac-12 CEO group is hey, I need an extension here. And he has no motivation in the interim to make a deal on the digital rights, which could be a, that could be a billion-dollar deal. He has no motivation to do it because if he makes that deal now, they're not going to need him in 2024. And yeah. I think that there's, there's a feeling among the CEO group that the lease on the downtown headquarters in San Francisco runs out in 2022. His contract runs out in 2022. That feels like a good time to make a change to me, but if it lasts that long. But I think he's got it set up where they kind of may need him because he's going to know it. He's going to leverage the fact that he's got all these deals in the works and changing commissioners now would be a bad move. And I think, um, I think it's in his best interest to hang on and not make a deal until 2024. Is there something you think that can be done? Because obviously that, you know, the, the six point whatever million dollar red, uh, it was always a weird decision to me when you're talking about, you have Los Angeles is in your footprint. You want to start uh, a television network. Why wouldn't you put it in LA as opposed to San Francisco, like talent wise, like the people that you would want to hire? Like there's so much, so many resources in LA. It's expensive too, but not as expensive as San Francisco. And you have much big, you know, a much broader talent pool to pull from. Is that something you think could happen or should they, you know, if it, if there is a move, should they go somewhere else? What do you think about all that? Yeah, I think it would have made sense. Like even Mark Shukin, who's the head of the Pac-12 network, he lives in LA. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't know that <laughs> they're paying, they're paying his travel expenses to, to fly to San Francisco to go to work. Oh my and God. So here's, here's how this is, this works too. And this is, gives you a good idea of what the Pac-12 is, is like right now. So they have to, because they're a tax-exempt organization, file the 990 form every fiscal year. But they run with a 10-month lag. So they have figured out by ending their fiscal year in the summer and by running, uh, you know, putting off their filing until 10 months later, they're able to create themselves a nice little buffer of uh, financial information versus actual time. So their numbers are probably much higher than even what I reported. But so Mark Shukin, head of the Pac-12 Networks, was hired uh, about uh, nine months ago. 
10 months ago to be head of the network. He's not on the form 990 because it's fiscal year 2016. It's the last document they had to file. So I asked the PAC 12, Mark Shukin, who lives in LA. And I found that out. I found out that he lives in LA. His family's still there. He's there most of the week. I asked the PAC 12, where does he work? They said he works from the San Francisco office. Well, it raises a question. Who pays travel when he's flying back and forth? The PAC-12 said, well, we'll refer you to the Form 990 for his expenditures. I said, he's not on the 990. And they said, well, he will be. And I said, well, can you just tell me what it, who's paying, who's footing the bill? They refused to say who's footing the bill. My suspicion is when we get that Form 990 that next year, we'll probably get it in May of this next year, May 19th. Um, it's going to show a huge number for Mark Shukin for his travel expenses. And I know that, uh, not on the record, can't report it, but I know that he is billing the conference. And guess what? He's flying private. So it's going to be a huge number. <laughs> You're paying that. And yeah, set up in LA. By the way, set up somewhere not in downtown LA. Find a, you know, where would you put it? You guys know that area better, but where could you still have an LA footprint, but not actually be? in the high high rent district of los angeles that's where the television capital of the united states is that's where this network should be located yeah it should be the walnut creek equivalent of uh la where the back 12 conference offices always used to be um you know put it near an airport put it near like long beach airport or something but it doesn't need to be in the middle of friggin downtown anywhere no i mean that's it's insane. And there's plenty of like failed yeah. studios you could use. I think that's what the SEC did, right? They just reused something, you know, it, it was very cost effective. There, there was ways you could do that in LA too. Yeah. And you know, the SEC did such a re really nice, the SEC actually only pays a dollar a year in rent, but they spent $300,000 renovating the building in that last fiscal year. So their actual cost was 300,000. Cause I, you know, I printed, they'd spent $300,000. I got a note from the SEC saying, well, actually, our rent is $1. But, uh, and, you know, I said, well, yeah, to be fair, that, that was your expense. I want to be fair to the PAC-12. That's what the SEC paid. But it just gives you an idea of how lavishly they're living. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you real quick. I don't know if you had any other on that day, but the your Heisman ballot. Uh, I, I vote as well. I did Kyler Murray, Tua Tagovailoa, and then and Gardner Minshew third. I, as a West Coast voter, I know it's a regional kind of thing. I always try to put, if it's reasonable, a West Coast representative on there. But you actually had you tweeted out you had Minshew as your your number one guy. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about your Heisman ballot a little bit. Yeah, why not? I mean, here's my thing. I mean, I think it's it's an imperfect award anyway because. If we're, you know, if the NFL scout is voting, he's probably going to take a defensive tackle at Alabama and say we're all crazy for picking a quarterback uh, as the <laughs> most impactful player. But I just looked at what Washington State was, the talent around Minshew, what they were projected to be this season, what his actual impact was, you know, what, what kind of year did he have? And I looked at that versus, you know, Tua at Alabama and Murray at Oklahoma, and I I think Minshew had less talent around him. Uh, I wasn't under any illusion that he was going to win the award, but I kind of like you felt like, you know, there was a year where I voted Marquise Lee with my top pick. And I feel kind of good about that now that, that, uh, that John, uh, Manziel's out of the league and, and uh, Manti Teo kind of imploded. <laughs> um, but I, I, look, I looked at the ballot and I said, look, can I with a straight face put Minshew on it? Yeah, okay, where do I put him? 
I just kind of felt like Alabama without Tua would have also been undefeated. And, and I think, well, I put Murray second, I put Tua third, but I think uh, Murray between Minshew and Murray was a harder decision for me, but I just felt like it fell apart for Minshew. That was a 10 win team that we all projected to be like fourth or fifth in the North division. And all of a sudden they're a 10 win team and, Really where it fell apart for him was in the snow. Do I really hold that against him? As a team, I don't give Washington State a pass for that game, but as an individual, yeah, I, I think uh, all three of those guys would have struggled under those conditions in, in the snow. But, yeah, I'm getting a lot of guff from the Oklahoma and the Ohio State fans. I saw Haskins in person. I mean, I think he's going to be a really good player, but I just I felt like Gardner Minshew, with what he had around him, had the best year of that group. Yeah. I think that's justifiable. And also, I mean, it, I know leech quarterbacks often get pegged with, oh, he's just a system guy. But if you're going to say that, I mean, Lincoln Riley has pretty clearly developed a pretty quarterback friendly system in Oklahoma. Um, you know, two Heisman winners back to back years. That's not just recruiting. That's that's the system they're running. So, um, yeah, no, justifiable. Whatever. Minshew should be in there. Mustache. He's great. I mean, I just think, like, if you put Minshew at Alabama, are they undefeated? Yes. They're in the yeah. You know, I just, I, I, I come back to talent around them, you know, and, and part of Washington State's story, we all know, you know, here's Washington State. They're coming back. They're coming into a season with a quarter, their starting quarterback committed suicide. They're picked to be a big disappointment. Mike Leach lost all his assistant coaches and Gardner Minshew made that not matter. And that to me, that was, that's why I put him first. Like it would have been easier for me to put him second. I think I would have got less heat from it. But me and five other people thought thought he had the best year. Yeah, I know you're uh, you're familiar with Gary Anderson uh, from his time at Oregon State. What did you think of him getting the uh, Utah State job? You know, I saw him at the Pac-12 championship game. I was on the sideline before the game, and he came over and uh, we shook hands and talked a little bit. And I hadn't talked to him since uh, he quit at Oregon State. Really, um, it, I think he'll win there. I think it was a familiar hire for them. I think it was the only head coaching job he was going to get. Uh, I don't think anybody else was going to come in, given what he has kind of done at Wisconsin and Oregon State, and give him another chance to lead. But he, you know, he looked healthier to me on the sideline at Utah than he had at Oregon State. I think he was uh, kind of losing it. I think we all know that, you know, he was melting down. He had made some bad hires. He lost his defensive coordinator to BYU and. He had replaced um, his assistant coaches with guys that he couldn't trust. He was, he felt undermined by his own staff. So I think it's a good move for Utah state, but I think it was the only move he had. And I think he's really fortunate to have had Kyle Whittingham as a good friend, because I think a lot of coaches would have had to sit out of football for a year or might've had their career ended by the way that he sort of walked away at Oregon state. He really helped Oregon state by giving their money back and tearing up the contract. And I think, you know, looking back on that, when he came in to offer to quit, Oregon State, it was a Sunday, uh, scrambled and got an attorney to draft that separation letter on a Sunday. They saw the opportunity, too, to get out from under his contract. Yeah, he walked away from $12 million, I think it was. That's crazy. Yeah, and he, it was USC. You know, his last game was USC beat him at the Coliseum, and he looked defeated after the game. His assistant coaches were kind of walking out, muttering, and you could tell it was headed nowhere good. And uh, he went in that following day and said, I don't think I can do it. And they, they scrambled an attorney on a Sunday and separated with him. Crazy. 
Uh, last thing for me, John, I just wanted to, to you, you're up there in Portland and covering the Oregon schools so so well. The uh, the NCAA kind of slap on the wrist, I guess, for the Ducks. Maybe we'd get your thoughts on on how how that went down and what you think of it. Yeah, I just think it's interesting because you've got, you know, the NCAA, it did nothing to North Carolina with academic fraud. It was absent at the NCAA uh, corruption hearing in New York uh, that we uh, recently saw go down. They just they, they had nobody present. It's like they didn't care, or didn't want to recognize it. They're going to have another trial coming up with assistant coaches. And here they are, busy going after Oregon for having a uh, director of basketball operations shag balls and act like he's an assistant coach. Sure, it's a competitive advantage. He shouldn't have been doing it. It's lame. It's lame that they had a strength and conditioning coach helping out at their women's basketball practice. But at the end of it, I can't help but go, like, this is it? This is, <laughs> this is what we're talking about? This is your NCAA investigation? And, wow, the NCAA is really diligent on this stuff. But where are they on the big picture? And that's that's the disappointing thing to me because I wanted to be outraged. Like I wanted to be like, how dare Oregon's football program put the player's name and position and number up on the video board? That's a violation. <laughs> but but I can't. I don't know if any of us can get that worked up about it when we see them doing nothing over these major infractions. Like what are they going to do in basketball? It's a real mess. Oh yeah. <clears throat> well, I, I've got nothing else, John, but I did want to say uh, just great reporting on all of this. And and I want to say the last two years with the Gary Anderson text message story last October, this story in November, uh, just been doing great work. Must follow for every Pac-12 fan out there. Uh, follow John on Twitter. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you bet. I, I think, you know, one final thought, like, it's really interesting to me that, you know, I hear from fans from all the different schools at different times of the year, but I really heard from all 12 fan bases after the series and everybody feels like they're in the same frustrating, no win position. And they feel like the PAC 12 is being left behind. And people keep asking me, what can they do? You got to get to your university president. You got to get to your chancellor and you have to tell them that this stuff matters to you and make it matter to them. And especially if you're a season ticket holder or a gift giver, they tend to listen to those people more than the others. Great advice from uh, John Canzano. Thank you so much again, John, for coming on. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that was really cool stuff, Dave. Uh, I'm glad we got to have John come on, but we got, we still have stuff to do. Do you know that we, we have to do our Pac-12 roundup. Of all the bowl oh, games yeah. this week. Oh yeah, we do. It's 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 pretty it's pretty exciting times, right? Yeah. Well, I guess there's only one bowl game this week. Um Yeah, I, I thought you were being a little bold with the uh S <laughs> at the end of game um there, but I was gonna roll with it. I was gonna be fine with it. <laughs> I just got it kidding. Um yeah, so we'll we're gonna do our preview. So we'll each week we'll preview whatever bowls are coming up. Uh, that week. So I don't know. I guess there'll be how it breaks down when we do our Monday show. Uh, we might have one show where like most of the bowl games are, uh, or maybe we'll split up in the next couple. Uh, but th- we got one right away. So we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and they're taking on the Fresno State Bulldogs, who are crazy, Dave. 11 and 2 Fresno State Bulldogs. <laughs> Incredible. This game is on Saturday on ABC, the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. 
at 12:30 p.m. Uh, so you know it won't be it won't be freezing temperatures in Las Vegas as it typically is during this game. Um, I, I think I've said this story a few times on this podcast, but I got frostbite at the 2004 Vegas Bowl. Wow. I'm not too proud to admit. Just that you know that that's a thing that happened to me in Las Vegas of all places. Uh, Arizona State taking on Fresno State. Um, this game has Fresno State favored by four points. They opened as a three-point favorite, moved to four. I believe that came after the news that Nikhil Harry will not play in this game as he is preparing for the draft. Um, Fresno State's a really tough team. Uh, they beat up on UCLA. Got to watch that game up close and personal early on in the year. Uh, they have been really strong all season. Uh, they lost the game to open the year against Minnesota that they really should have won, um, or at le- the very least had a very good chance of winning. Um, they lost a road game at Boise State that they ended up um, getting revenge on in the Mountain West Championship game. Um, they are uh, no slouch and uh, very I would say they're pretty clearly if they were in the Pac-12 this year, they would be a top three team in the Pac-12 this season. Um, so this is this is a very tough draw for Arizona State. It's the classic thing where a very good Mountain West champion uh, ends up in the Vegas Bowl um, against what is a middling Pac-12 team. And that's no, no shame in that game, but that's what ASU is. Uh, even still... ASU has athletes that Fresno State uh, could really only dream of having. Um, Eno Benjamin um, is – he might be the best player on the field for either team. Um, So you have to factor that in. But Jeff Tedford's done such a good job there. Their defense is so strong. Um, Even with this being, you know, Manny Wilkins' last college game, um, you know, Eno Benjamin being the best player on the field – I, I got to like Fresno State here. I think they're going to be really motivated for this one. You know, you never know how motivated the Pac-12 team is for this game. I think Fresno State's going to be very motivated to beat a Pac-12 opponent again this season. So um, give me Fresno State minus the four. I think they cover. Okay. Now, if I don't remember our last episode. You said I was supposed to pick first uh, for each of these games. Now, I, yeah, well, so I remember things. I remember things a year ago, <laughs> but last week, because okay, so I have a five-game lead in our our picks. Now, I had written down Fresno State for this one when I saw the line as minus four. So, I will give you the option if you would like to switch your pick to Arizona State, or if you would like for me to switch my pick to Arizona State, I will do that. How about that? Yeah, pick Arizona State. Okay, I'll switch. I'm going to go with ASU. All in on Herm. Uh, Nikhil Harry just, you know, I, I think he's overrated. He just wasn't that good of a player. I don't think it's going to impact this game at all. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Um, it's a lot, you know, four points. I could see it be like a, a three-point game or something, ASU. And, you know, if even if ASU loses, but they got to buck the trend. ASU has to buck the, the Pac-12 trend. I was thinking about like just going in and saying, okay, I'm going to pick all of the opponents of Pac-12 teams except for Utah. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm honestly not going to do that. So just re- well, if you remember next week, I'll pick first. You can give your analysis and then wait to save your pick, and then I'll pick. And then if you want to pick differently, then you can. Uh, well, the odds, of, the odds of me remembering that again <laughs> are pretty slim. Pretty, pretty slim, slim there, Ryan. Yeah. Um, well, that's the only bowl game. So, okay, so let's look at this. So we have that's Saturday, December 15th. 
Then we'll have a show next week, and that one we would preview. There's a Wednesday bowl game, a Friday bowl game, and then ooh, there's a, and then a Monday bowl game at 11 a.m. So we're gonna have to preview that one as well. Actually, oh crap, there. Oh, th- th- that would be the. I don't know. I don't, it depends when we tape our next show, um, because there will be the next bowls are December 26th, 28th. And then three of them on Monday, the 31st, and then one of them on Tuesday, the 1st. Well, so, okay, so we probably, I can imagine us, neither of us wanting to record on uh, Christmas Eve. I can imagine that. Yes. Um, so, or Christmas. So I imagine what we would probably do is wait till the day after Christmas, so the 26th. So let's preview the 26th game um, next week. And then we'll record again on either the 26th or the 27th of uh, the week of Christmas and do whatever comes after that. Does that oh, sound good? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay, so we'll, we'll do this on the fly. So this one, oh, we got more than one bowl game. I like this. Um, I mean, I know you have complications with your schedule with USC, um, <laughs> you know, having all their bowl practices. I have my own complications with UCLA, but I think I think we can work it into our busy schedules. <laughs> I actually will be like, this is, I love we're doing this on the fly. I will be in uh, Tennessee. So the next, the next uh, show we do will be fully funded and produced and edited by Mr. David Woods. So. Woohoo. Or, or Ryan, where are you going to be in Tennessee? Maybe we, maybe we, maybe we meet up in the hinterlands. Oh, that could be good too. Um, mm, yeah, we're doing this on the fly. How does everyone like listening to our logistics? <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's radio. It's, it's good. It's good radio. Okay. Well, uh, so the 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 bowl game we're going to preview now because you know we're probably going to move our schedule around because of Christmas and all that stuff. Uh, this is the Cheez It Bowl, Dave. We got wait, 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 wait. Today, Bears. wait, what happened? Today is uh, December tenth. Yes. Oh, what, so we're, what day is this bowl game? <laughs> December 26th. Why do I okay. listen to you? <laughs> we'll record that next week. Okay. That'll be our show for next week where we preview that bowl game. <laughs> then the following week after Christmas, we'll preview the week following games. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Are you with me? I think I'm with you. I think so. Okay. So Monday, Monday, normal schedule. Monday, December 17th, we're coming out with one of these. It'll be two hours long of nothing but battle. <laughs> we might get another then guest. The next, we record after Christmas, and we do everything for the New Year's schedule. Okay. That sounds good to sound me. Sound good? Yeah. So we'll do Cheez-It Bowl next week. Um, all right. So sorry sorry to get you all hot and bothered, Cal fans. Uh, yeah. Well, that's good stuff. Uh, well, let's, <laughs> let's knock out some of these questions because- Let's do it. This has been great radio, and I'm sure everyone's enjoying it. Um, all right, we got a text message. You ready for this? Yes. It's about the spelling of the, our new favorite word. Ferocious. Oh, you did it. I did what? Ferocious. Yes. You cut it down to one word. <laughs> I did. It's great. Beautiful. All right. Uh, he says, a dark horse candidate, whore, so different type of whore, uh-huh. W-H-O, rocious. Feel like it really captures the essence of the current Pac-12. So I'm going to be honest with you. Text message from a number I don't recognize because I never uh, save these. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but but I'm with it. I think it's great. 
You like that one? So when when you meet with the Webster people to put the word in the dictionary, you have to have it narrowed down to the actual spelling, right? Like a, a no, 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 you can have alternative spellings. Oh, come all on, right. all right, yeah. I don't know. I mean, brand new word. With I'm three. I'm I'm leaning more and more toward it being two R's. So the more I think about it, the more I delve into the texts, the more I I learn about the etymology. Um, I've got to go with H O R R O C. I O U S. All right. Sounds All good. Right. We got one from uh, Brendan coaching futures, uh, a cute coaching future for three pack 12 failures. So he has uh, Brendan says number one. And then there's a number in parentheses, 46 age age. Ah, these are ages. Okay. Uh, record looks a lot better to an outsider that doesn't watch the silly clowns. Uh, would he be a catch at lower tier power five schools? No. Yeah, I don't think so. That's one of those things where that's why USC fans were upset because no one else was going to hire uh, Clay Helton. Uh, number and, and all things considered, um, think of not true of every big time job. But most of the time, like a big power five job that's super great and has a great talent base, it's an easier job than a lot of lower tier power five schools. True. You, you, you get talent just by showing up. Yep. Um, uh, Jim Mora, uh, age 57, seems to bring the right attitude, if not football acumen. While he made many questionable hires, he seems fitted to be a CEO style of head coach. Little five? No, definitely not. Um, so I, I, I think, look, if he gets his head screwed on completely straight, um, I think he can be uh, one of those guys who brings a lot of um, good fire. But he needs to be at a high power five school if he's going to ha bring what he brings to the table, which is when he's engaged, he can be a very, very good recruiter and brings high energy. But he's not an X's and O's guy. And I think at the lower tier schools, you need to be more of an X's and O's type because you need to out scheme um, uh, teams. So uh, no, if, if I don't think he's ever going to get another high a high power five job. So I think it's you know kind of just uh, theoretical nonsense. But I don't I don't think he'd be a good fit at a lower school. Now he's doing media stuff right now, right? And like got he got like some confrontation with one of his co-hosts or something. I don't remember. It was some weird. Yeah, thing. it wasn't great. It uh, wasn't great. Uh, so we'll see, you, you know, usually get a year off and then see what he does, if he's going to get another job here during the cycle. And then, uh, number three, Mike McIntyre, 53 years old in contrast to Helton results make McIntyre look a lot worse than he seems to me, but what, uh, school wants a head coach that finished last in a soft subdivision five of six times, even if he was the 2016 AP coach of the year, uh, is he on head coaching hiatus for a few years? Back to Ole Miss for the D.C. job. Obviously, we talked about that already. He uh, he did take the, the Ole Miss for the defensive coordinator job. And I think you could stay there for a year or two and then, you know, get another opportunity somewhere. And honestly, of these three, I think he's the one who is the best fit for getting a lower tier power five job. Like among these three, he's the one who's actually done it at a well, not at a lower tier power five. He actually did it at a group of five in San Jose State. Um but McIntyre is the best coach in this group, like the best X's and O's guy yeah. and uh, the best one with in terms of football acumen. So, yeah, I think, you know, he rehabs for a year or two as the Ole Miss DC, hopefully puts together a couple of good defenses and then he'll be right back head coaching somewhere. 
And then he said, Khalil Tate, I remember you guys speculating this summer that there was no way Kevin Selman was going to holster Arizona's greatest weapon. But if you watched Arizona open this year, it sure looked like someone might have been uh, dealing with a hobbled quarterback through the first half of the season. I thought we learned this year that Tate is not as good as we thought, even though we got glimpses of 2017 in the final three games. Thoughts on Tate's 2018 season and where he'll play in 2019. May Larry Scott step up, step in gum and lean up against a wet paint. Go Bruins. Brendan from Henderson, Nevada. What a very specific like curse for Larry Scott. Yeah. I like that. I mean, those are those really, those, are, those aren't good things. Like it's hard to have a good day if you step in gum and lean up against wet paint. So that's, you know, he just doesn't want to have a very good day. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Tate thing is going to be interesting and I, I, I'd want to dissect this for years. Uh, he definitely did slow down at the end of last year. Um, and this year, he had the injury, um, also seemed to not really want to run as much. Um, and from what I heard, uh, that was a source of a little bit of contention between him and uh, the offensive staff uh, with someone in Mazzoni. Um, so it was a weird year. I was expecting a lot more. Um, even if you say he was even if he was only going to be as good as he was at the end of 2017, he was still pretty good then. Um, and. You know, I think he figured a few more things out towards the end of this year where maybe towards the middle stages of this year where um, he was running a little bit more and making a little bit more happen with his legs, even when he wasn't running uh, for first downs. Um, But no, and I I thought when you take away his legs, what you have is a quarterback with a big arm. He can get the ball way downfield, not super accurate, um, doesn't, you know, doesn't necessarily play within the concept of the offense super great and uh, is altogether kind of mediocre. Um, so I think he needs to get back if that's, a you know, getting healthy or whatever it is, but he needs to get back to something akin to that 2017 season. It doesn't need to be that whole thing, but he needs to show a willingness um, and ability to run if he's going to be a, a really effective quarterback wherever he'll play. And I have no idea where that's going to be at this point. Yeah, me neither. And I think I think you're right. I mean, I, we, there was that month where he was absolutely unstoppable. Uh, but then, you know, there was other times, too. I think it was a bowl game. He threw four or five touchdown passes, like three or four of them were bombs. Um, it, it wasn't like – but I wouldn't say if you look at the whole body of work, it hasn't been super consistent. And then there was the – the injuries this year that that really kind of disrupted things. It's sort of like when you got like one of those uh, little light bulbs connected to like a, a a bike that you you know the faster you pedal, the brighter it'll shine. And there was sometimes you're just pedaling super fast, and this bulb was like a, you know about to burst. It was bright, you know, so bright. And other times you're just kind of slowing down, and it's just not as it's just not as bright. And we we've just seen that I think with his career, even last year. You know, I mean, you you look at the overall numbers; they were like ridiculous, but there was just so many of them were in a certain few games where, you know, he won the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year four weeks in a row. He was just, like, unstoppable then. But it wasn't all like that. Um, and this year with the injuries and having a different coach, it just seemed to impact all of that. So I'm curious to see what happens uh, with him and because um, he he is a special talent, but it's just we haven't seen, like, the consistent play. It's not like a week-in and week-out thing where you're you're seeing the same sort of thing. Just, it seems like this goes up and down. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. It sounds that he's very likely going to transfer, so we'll see where he ends up. Uh, you want to do the next one? Yes. Um, 
So this is from Thomas. Please stop spreading lies about the Pac-12 network. Wow, vitriol here from Thomas. Jeez. Hey, guys, really enjoyed your last podcast with Kyle Gonabora, but he seems just as ignorant. ignorant. (laughs) All right, so I I went in, and I mispronounced his name on purpose, and then I just said (laughs) ignorant as ignorant. (laughs) That's just what happened. Okay. Uh, But he seems just as ignorant as you two about why DirecTV won't carry the Pac-12 network. Originally, the Pac-12 wanted the regional channels on basic cable. DirecTV doesn't have separate lineups for each Pac-12 region, however – As a result, they wanted to pay the conference per subscriber for the national feed what Comcast and others were paying for the regional one, which is a much lower price. The Pac-12 network actually tried to solve this problem by having cable companies switch the national feed to basic cable, even though it took a big financial hit. So why wasn't this enough? DirecTV was bought by AT&T. The telecom giant sees the Pac-12 network as a pawn of Comcast, which in turn is AT&T's biggest rival providing home internet service. So blame Larry Scott all you want for being an arrogant son of a bitch. But just know the conference has actually been more flexible than people think. Uh, Question for Dave, though. Is this explanation easy enough for you, my North Campus colleague Dave, to understand? Or should I translate into Dwarven? Keep up the great work and definitely have more guests from Thomas. Well, we had another guest today, Thomas. I hope you like that. Um, Yeah. Do you buy what he's selling here? I, I, I think he's. Is this Thomas Scott? It's Larry Scott's nephew. Is that who who wrote this? Yeah, this is this is our man Thomas Scott. Yeah. Um, I, I, if, I, if you're trying to tell me that, that this had nothing to do with Paxful bumblings, then I'm not believing you, Thomas. Sorry. Yeah, I, it's. I I'm mean, sure. sure, this explanation makes sense. We, like, give me a source on any of this. The telecom giant sees the Pac-12 network as a pawn of Comcast. I mean, it sounds like a nice theory. Is that something that we know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, okay, I guess this could be the case, but AT&T is the one who actually signed up the Pac-12 network in the yeah. first place. Yeah, AT&T so, had the Pac-12 network, so I don't... So I, I, I don't know that I necessarily buy it, but I'm they, willing to subscribe to your newsletter. And D, the DirecTV said no way before they were bought by AT&T, so Thomas, I'm sorry, you, you and your uncle Larry Scott have to come up with some better explanations there. Come on, Thomas. Yeah. Please translate it into Dwarven next time. <laughs> we got one from I Bert. Think the, dwarves, the Dwarves spoke Elvish, didn't they? Uh, shoot. Um, I thought that, what well, they all spoke English. They all spoke, like, they all. I mean, in the movie, they all speak English, but like, I don't know. Oh, in the books. Yeah, there was, there was like common. Oh, no, like, no. So, so the Dwarves, the Dwarves speak Kuzdol. Oh, okay. Which Tolkien decided to create, and a, Tolkien decided to create an analog of a Semitic language influenced by Hebrew phonology for the dwarves. Wasn't there like a common though? Wasn't there like a sort of like the common tongue? Yes. Probably. Okay, I thought that's what there was, but um, we got one from Bernie uh, on the last USC Tunnel Vision podcast. So that's like our video show. Uh, Dan Weber said that any USC football coach that loses to UCLA should be fired right there on the field. My question is, based on that statement, how many USC coaches do you think will be fired over the next 10 years? My guess is six. What is yours from Bernie? Wow. Uh, let's see. Okay, so if you assume that every USC coach is fired immediately after the game if they lose, right? Yes. Okay, so this year, does USC lose? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so Helton's fired immediately. Um, Or will he have already been fired? I mean, we've all looked at those first six games of the schedule. Yikes. It's not easy. Um, No. 
Yeah, well, well, we'll assume he gets fired then. But then you don't know because then you like then the next nine years, like you don't know who's going to be hired. Right. So basically, what we're saying is, if it's if it's six guys, then that means UCLA will go six and four over the next ten years. That's what. Yeah. So I guess you're looking at what UCLA's record is. Right. So right. do you think Chip Kelly is going to beat whoever USC puts up there six times out of the next ten? Yeah. And that's you're assuming Chip Kelly is going to be around for ten years. Right. Good point. Good point. Good point. So let's say it's even like four or five years where Chip Kelly wins like three or four of those. You still have to come up with UCLA hiring another guy, assuming and I'm not trying to panic UCLA fans here. Maybe Chip Kelly stays 10 years. Who knows? Uh, But then you have to still come up with UCLA hiring another guy who's going to beat SC three more times in the next five years. Yeah. And what are the odds that UCLA makes that hire a second time? And see, I would I would lean on the Chip Kelly side because there's stability there right now, um, yeah. and you feel like they're going to do well for USC. Like, so say Chip Kelly beats Clay Helton again, they fire someone. USC's record of uh, the track record of hiring coaches is pretty poor. But even if you no, get a, you're going to be looking at the Cliff Kingsbury era. Are you ready for it? Well, that so, but then if he's probably going to get well, like okay, by this, yeah. So if they have a really good offense and they still lose to UCLA, then he would be fired by Dan Weber's rule. Then Cliff Kingsbury would take over. The problem is people, if they, if Cleo gets fired for real, the offense probably wasn't that good. And there's no reason to really hire Cliff Kingsbury anyway. I don't see how you make that work. Uh, But that's like a stubborn topic. But so, so say USC hires like a good coach, which is not normal. Like that you give them a low percentage chance of doing that. They still have to beat an established Chip Kelly in year three to to uh to beat him and you might not do that so you might get rid of the good coach you hired just because he lost to ucla and then you go back into like the 20 percent chance of hiring a good coach again so i think if you start off like that uh, you're going to give the advantage to chip kelly so there might be six or seven out of the ten if you say he stays there the whole time okay so we're we're on board with you bernie yeah all right. Uh, this is from Chris from Seoul. Questions before memories of the 28 season fade too much. You should have gotten this in last week then. Great podcast, guys. Thanks so much for Dave's command of the English language and Ryan's efforts preparing the podcast. Having a guest host last week was a real treat. Enjoyed it. Questions. Performance-wise, what were the top three team position groups this year in the Pac-12? Ooh. Skip to the next question if you were going to say the Stanford running backs. <laughs> um, okay, so Washington secondary. They were really good. Uh, I mean, would you say like, I mean, Washington State quarterback? Like, I don't. I mean, I don't, is that a position group or would you? I mean, I want to put. Yeah. I want to put the offense there, like maybe the Washington State receivers or something. I mean, clearly both UCLA and USC's special teams. They're so good. So good. Um, you can't even say like you like Utah had some pretty bad special teams plays this year. Like they weren't as consistent as they normally are. Stanford's wide receiver tight end group. That yeah, you could do that. Like they they kind of bailed KJ Costello out quite a bit. Uh, what else stands out? Anything else? Like, I mean, even like Washington State's. Like defensive front, I thought they they were really active for a bunch of small guys. Like you could say Utah's, um, you know, defensive line maybe. Yeah, I'll uh, go with that. Nothing else really stood out to me as super dominant. I would say Washington secondary and Stanford's wide receiver tight end group. Those were, I think, game changers for both of those teams. 
Yeah. So that's what I would probably I would just like Gardner Minshew in there somewhere, but you know. Sure. Gardner Minshew, the mustache, quarterbacks. (laughs) There you go. All right. uh, Who will be the first five Pac 12 players drafted by the NFL? Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. We'll do do an NFL draft preview later, Chris. All right. You're you're going way too hard right now. Uh, not really a 2018 question, but using all your vast knowledge, well-honed analytical skills and renowned perceptive capacities, think forward to December, 2023, Jesus Christ, which of the the season yet? Oh my God, Chris, which of the current coaches will still be in their current positions? I can't even name all the current coaches. Uh, feel free to throw Mel Tucker into the mix. Okay. So who's still going to be at their place? Uh, Chris Peterson, yes. Mike Leach, no. Uh, Sound good? Sure. Mar- uh, Mario Cristobal, no. no. Jonathan John- Smith, no. No. Uh, David Shaw, yes. Oh, David Shaw, yes. Justin Wilcox, no. I'll say yes for Wilcox. Five years from now, I think he's got a better job. I don't know. I think. I think. No offense. Good. He just signed a five-year deal. Yeah, don't we all? Uh, Clay Helton, no. Chip Kelly, yes. Yes. Um, uh, L. Tucker. Mel Tucker, I'm gonna go yes. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm we'll bet on success there. I'm bullish. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, yes. Uh, Herm Edwards, no. No. And Kevin Sumlin, no. 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 no, no, no. <laughs> okay. Chris from Seoul. We do love the international questions, Chris. Thanks. That was testing us. Um, party line. This is from Hitler day. Uh, the show last week with Kyle Bonagora was the best one in years. Wow. Ha- yeah. Having a third knowledgeable person on the whole, uh, on the whole episode, excuse me, uh, dramatically increases the odds that someone will have a dissenting or in- intelligent thing to say. Uh, I'd really enjoy it. If you tried to always have a guest with you like this going forward. Uh, I well, think I think Hithlade doesn't like us. Apparently. <laughs> Hithlade, this is one of your worst questions in years. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my theory for the conference's poor uh, scoring output this year comes down to one thing, bad offensive line play. Stanford, which everybody thought was going to have an elite offensive line, turned out to be a total bust. Washington had significant injuries throughout the week, throughout the year. UCLA had huge talent problems in USC's were coached so badly they fired the guy responsible for them. The rest of the schools don't have the recruiting talent for elite offensive linemen in Washington State. Led the league in scoring largely because Minshew's mobility let him dance out of trouble the offensive line was letting in. Pro Football Focus graded Oregon as having the best line in the Pac-12, which surprised me because the Ducks have an even worse injury situation than the Huskies. I think that was basically by default. And it helps that you're off that your head coach is an offensive line guy, so um, but his, his three questions, uh, what do the boys think of that theory? I'm, I'm done with it. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, I think it's a big part of why it's the much bigger part than anything with a regression for Bryce Love at Stanford, why they failed this year, um, at least early on from an offensive standpoint before they figured out that they are basically a jumbo air raid team this year. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Washington, they had the Trey Adams injury and uh, I, I didn't think much of their offensive line, even outside of the left tackle position. Um, UCLA got better over the course of the year, and they just uh, promoted their offensive line coach to a title-only offensive coordinator position uh, because of it. Um, USC obviously fired their line coach. They have talent. They should have been better. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would say this makes sense. This checks out. And, uh, you know, Oregon, as Hifflede probably noticed over the course of the year, uh, their offensive line was not looking too hot by the end of the year, largely because of injuries. So, yeah, not a good offensive line year. I think that's uh, – I think you've hit you've hit on an essential truth, Hifflede. Uh Yes. And number two, when you're watching high school prospects at offensive line, what sp- specifically are you looking for? And are there any warning signs a guy – May not live up to his uh, ranking. That's really interesting. Mm. I try to watch, like, try to watch feet if you can. Um, even like just general athleticism, like if they are like a discus thrower or a shot putter. You know, they play basketball. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a, a super expert in this, but just trying to see movement a lot for me. Because sometimes you're seeing a guy. I just filmed, uh, you know, an offensive line prospect who was so much bigger than everyone else he just pushed people around it's really hard to get stuff from that kind of film so i'm usually trying to watch how they move but what do you think dave yeah um you're looking for athleticism um you know i would always rather see like the guy who's i don't know six five like 250 or whatever who's got some real length and can move um who's maybe not even dominating yet at the high school level um but you can project more onto him because a lot of these guys, if they're already pretty built out, you know, the guy you're talking about, the monster at the high school level, um, that can be a real adjustment when they go into college. For every Jonathan Ogden who, you know, was a physical monster from day one and just continued to be a physical monster, there's a bunch of guys who were just big dudes who just didn't pan out because, you know, when it finally got hard for them, they didn't really have it in them to do it, um, which leads into the thing that I'm that I always look for is a warning sign with either line, but especially in the offensive line. If you ever hear anything that a guy's a little bit soft, or that he's not, not tough enough, or just looks like he shies from contact, even a little bit, um, that, that position group is such just, you're doing battle every single down that you got to be kind of mean, like you've got to have a mean streak to, you. you've got to want to, you know, just push guys down and sit on them. Um, that's, that's gotta be a big thing for you. Um, so I, I wouldn't look for technique or anything like that really at the high school level. Cause most of that stuff, unless you're at a big time high school program, you're not learning great technique anyway. Um, and even at the big time high school programs, you're probably not, um, you're not going to learn that until college if then, um, but looking more at the baseline athleticism, how well do you move your feet? How good are you laterally? How quick are you? Um, was just watching Sean Ryan's UCLA's uh, new uh, offensive line commitment. Um, the way he bounces up after pancaking a guy, like that's the sort of thing where you're just looking for small signs of explosive athleticism. And he's just bouncing up like he's, you know, 210 pounds instead of 280 or whatever. Um, when you have, when you just have that ability to move quickly, um, that's the stuff I'm looking for on offensive line when you're scouting high school. Uh, once you get into like, Scouting for the NFL draft, it goes in more into technique and, you know, how dominant you were. But at the high school level, athleticism and uh, whether you like hitting dudes. And then the last one, he said, three, what are some tips for fans to evaluate offensive line play when watching games live? And, you know, obviously this is like one of the hardest things to do. And uh, I, I definitely don't ever try to say I'm a super expert in, in these kind of stuff because it's not easy. But it's, it's almost like you just have to watch the game without watching the ball. You just have to kind of watch the line play. Uh, so that's – it's like something you have to think about, for me at least. Like, don't watch the ball. Just follow what the line is doing, and you'll see, oh, these guys 
this guy pulled on this play and, oh, he totally missed his block or whatever it is. Like just trying to follow the line and forget what's happening with the ball. But do you have any tips, Dave? No, that's it. I mean, you have to you have to focus on it. Um, so if you're not so if you focus on it, it's hard not to pick stuff up. Like you're going to see guys missing blocks. You're going to see dudes not getting on their poles correctly where they're not um, getting out quick enough. Um but you have to focus on it, which is a different experience for people who aren't super into the line play and the X's and O's of it um, because you're used to watching a football game where you watch the ball and you watch what the guy with the ball is doing and the guys trying to tackle the guy with the ball are doing. Um, but watching the offensive line, I mean, sometimes you'll be watching that and the ball's you know 10 yards away, but something really cool is happening up front. Um, but you got to focus on it. Um, and it's easier if you're a coach being paid many hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. And that's the way they do watch the game. Um, but if you're a fan, I don't know. I don't know how much there is to gain for it from the gain gain from it for you, unless you're really into analyzing that stuff. Um, but you can generally have a pretty good idea of what's happening on the offensive line. Um, mostly from your running numbers. I mean, rushing offenses generally due to offensive line play, unless you're running some weird option type scheme. Yeah, stuff you'll notice is like, oh, they're all surging forward because this is a run play or they're back or, you know, sometimes the play action where they, you know, they they make it look like it's going to be a pass play, but then they're run blocking. You know, there's there's just kind of little things you see um, which you you don't really pay attention to, uh, you know, if you're just watching the ball. And that's what we're just we're conditioned to watch the ball because that's that's what's important. But um, and, and sometimes it's hard because like the, the camera angle might not be the best and you you know, they, they get away from the line before you can actually see what's developing and stuff like that. So it can, it can be difficult. Yep. All right. Now we've got uh, Kellen in Colorado Springs, Mel Tucker. Hey, Ryan and Dave, you guys have debated about which head coach might be the best fighter or who would win in a fight. I can't recall who you picked, but no Whittingham was a final candidate. Is it safe to say Mel Tucker is now the runaway badass head coach in the Pac-12? All right, let's go to the tape. Uh, Mel Tucker. Let's 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 get a sense of his dimensions. All right. He looks tough, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know what his dimensions are. So he's 46 years old. So on the youthful side, um, I'm looking at some picks from. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 He looks in shape, looks pretty fit, looks <laughs> strong. I think this uh, he looks big, too, unless Kirby smarts a midget. Uh <laughs> He looks pretty large. Um, Where'd he play? He played. Uh, that's a good question. All right, let's go to that too. All right, so he played at Wisconsin where he was a defensive back. So that's not typically ah, huge. So maybe see. Kirby Smart is kind of small. Um, you know, I'm going to say he's definitely in that top tier. Just looking at him, he looks young. He looks bigger than like a Justin Wilcox type. Um, even though it wasn't Wilcox a linebacker in college. I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he looks a little bit bigger than that. Uh, it looks bigger than Chris Peterson, obviously. Um, he's in that top tier for me with Whittingham and Cristobal, I think. Yeah. He would be in that tier. Um, I need to, you know, I go, I want to see him in person at Pac-12 media day. I, it's hard to judge size. It's hard yeah. to judge size unless you know the height of a bunch of other guys, but he looks like he's probably put on a, a few pounds since his defensive back days. Uh, but again, these are close-up shots, you know, so it's hard to tell. You have to have context. Uh, um, I, yeah, I think Whittingham too. Just knowing that he like wrestles bears in the off season, like it's just there's some there's a toughness there. So I, he's still going to be my standby. But you know, Tucker can can work his way in. We'll see. 
Let's see. Mel Tucker height. I'm, I'm looking up Mel Tucker height. Hang on. Do we get that? Is that like a Google thing? Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, it's a back. So you're like, uh. he can't be taller than like six one then. Right. Like old time defensive back. Probably not. Probably. Yeah. So, okay. Well, anyway, um, he's in that top tier. I, I, I'm not ready to say until I see him on a sideline, seeing how angry he can get. Uh, anyway, you glossed over the Mel Tucker hire last week because he hadn't been hired yet, Kellen. <laughs> now that you've had some time and chance to see some press conferences and look him up in general. Okay, so we went over that. Um, yeah. Just ask us how we feel about it. He says the fans are pretty pumped up, um, and I think they have every right to be. Um, hire him from the saving tree. Got to feel good about that. And All right. It works out for, uh, my buffs. Yes. Go Buffs. Uh, let's see. This is from Shane. This looks long. Let's, let's work on this. Ryan and David. David. Uh, nice work last week with Ganabora. That's what he wrote out. Uh, when you launched into the listener email segment with a content-free pot shot at SC and Kyle without blinking, dismissed it wholesale. I looked at my phone and thought, wow, okay. What does this podcast possibly... Uh, uh, how does this podcast possibly last 55 more minutes? this guy know that every single email will be that same joke <laughs> we only know uh like three jokes on the podcast of champions and that email was two of them get on board gamora <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming he means the uh suc joke that we make literally literally every episode at least seven times right yes and we didn't get uh we didn't get a lot of suggestions for other uh like, no we, we uh, yeah, sometimes our listeners don't do that. We may, we ask for suggestions. They don't send them in. Uh, can you guys take no, they're, a, they're, 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 they're tough to herd our listeners. It's like a bunch of cats herding cats. Um, can you take, uh, can you guys take a moment to celebrate the conference slipping on a banana pill schedule release, please. This is beautiful. So they, they released the schedule on Twitter with this, you know, nice little tweet, well-designed tweet with a, picture and everything and a link that went to a 404 page <laughs> like the link and it wasn't even like it took like a second like the link was dead for like 15 minutes yeah. after they released it and everyone's just piling on them until they finally get it fixed they'd released it to every school beforehand though so you could just go to the school websites to piece it all together but yeah that was just perfect it was beautiful yeah i didn't even notice that which was funny um because I, I looked at the school one but only the best quality from the conference that was home to an NCAA basketball champion 21 years ago. Seriously, nobody currently playing college basketball outside of Utah was alive to see the conference's last basketball championship. I'm not even mad. That's amazing. I love the little Utah shot there, too. That's uh, good. The, the press release with the full schedule was launched by the conference to a 404 link, quote unquote, page not found. Once they fixed it, it read like the Chris Rock joke with the guy bragging about taking care of his kids. Quote, the Pac-12 will brag about some shit they're just supposed to do, like shit other conferences will just do. Quote, no teams will play 12 consecutive weeks without a bye. <laughs> Quote. What's no amazing is, until recently, <laughs> that was a thing. What was it, two years ago that Arizona had to do that? And USC did it last year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no teams will play back-to-back -back road games, including a short week against their biggest rival, while that rival is coming off a bye. <laughs> We're no longer outsourcing our schedule to a data analytics firm unfamiliar with American football. Uh, our conference championship game, oh yeah, that's still in a hard-to-get-to, to underwhelming, expensive destination on a weekday, but there's a Carl's Jr. right by the stadium, so we've got that going for us, which is nice. 
Um, so good stuff there, Shane. And then he has some questions, or looks, well, I think there's some. Uh, as we pointed out, uh, post-college uh, football playoff selection, in year five of the CFP, three conferences have been left out at least once, while two conferences have never been left out. Every conference that has been left out plays nine conference games. Every conference that hasn't been that hasn't been left out plays eight. Since we're never going to uh, retract Power Five games, and the two conferences are uh, taking advantage of the eight-game slate, aren't ever going to expand to nine. Would you guys what What do you guys see happening first? An eight-team playoff with the five conference champions, two at-large ties, and a group of five bid, or Final stage conference realignment with four 16-team power conferences and eight division-slash-four-conference champions, which I think, in an inescapable eventuality, uh, but but it will happen before the half-assed eight-team format does. Your friend and compatriot, Shane. Uh, I think the eight-team playoff happens before the final stage realignment because I think to get down to the 16 team power conferences with that like very even scale of divisions and all that kind of stuff that sounds really organized which is not something the NCAA is typically known for so that will require something above and beyond the NCAA I think it would require kind of blowing up the whole system and I think we're still many many years from that an 18 playoff that's just adding what a weekend of football like that seems doable. Um, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of eagerness for that either, though. So I, I think both of these were on the, you know, maybe in like five to ten years scale than on the, you know, two to three years that we all might have been thinking a couple years ago. Um, there doesn't seem to be any real movement on the 18 playoff idea, um, at least from all the publicly released comments from all of these commissioners of the different conferences so i don't think either of these is happening anytime soon but i would say the 18 playoff is probably closer to now yeah i would say i would say the same um i just think we're further away from that you know the super super leagues and stuff so i think they would go to 18 playoff first and uh i I think we're getting i think i think we're getting closer to that yeah all right this is from blake bye bye jake browning is gone Wait, I thought he had another. Yeah, year isn't or he two. a senior? I thought he was a redshirt junior, so you get one more year. Right. Yeah, I think you might be wrong here, Mike. <laughs> you might have to consult your uh, consult your uh, your almanac of Jakes. Um, sorry to ruin your fun, Dave. On to the first UW quarterback competition in four years. Right now, everyone has Eason penciled in as the starter, but Hawk was also a heavily produced, uh, heavily pursued recruit, four star recruit. Heavily pursued four-star recruits, I think, what we what we were intending there, Blake. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Eason has the cannon arm, and he's huge, but Mike Hawk isn't that small and is arguably the more heady type of player. My question is, would you guys prefer the athletic spec spec My God. Look, I, I'm just day. trying to get through this the same way everyone is, <laughs> but my reading skills are devolving rapidly. This is a short um, one. I had, like, two-page one in the last oh, one. Oh, man. Would you guys prefer the athletic <laughs> specimen? like Eason or the better X's and O's guy. You just got done with the heady, isn't that small, better X's and O's guy. Get the dude out there who can actually throw it out. Yes, start Jacob Eason. Have him win the competition. Do not talk yourself out of that. Do it. Yeah. Do it right now. There's other guys um, too, right? Aren't there, there were, what was the, the two four-star guys that came? It's like four or five Jakes. Yeah. There's, 
It's just a bunch of jakes. It's sermon. It's jakes. Like, does it take it a jakes the whole way down? Yes. <laughs> but no, go with the the better athlete. Go with the, the most arm talent. Like, be able to yeah. throw all the passes that you would like to throw. No, uh, yeah, don't say. don't go with the heady guy. Jake Browning was the heady guy, yeah. and he still threw a bunch of interceptions. Like, you know, like he was a freshman his senior year. Yeah. But 2019 with Jake Browning, I think the Washington Huskies are going to be back. And then 2020, when they get their new quarterback, we'll see what happens there. Um, we're going to make that joke all the time, too. That's one of the three podcasts of champion jokes. Like, it has to involve Jake. Jake Browning has to be involved in a joke, either the noodle arm thing or now that he's coming back for a, you know, uh, breaking news, uh, unprecedented fifth year or sixth year or whatever you want to say. Um, I can't wait to our uh, NFL draft preview for uh, the Jake Browning talk then. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll get we'll get an expert on to kind of give, give their thoughts. Where yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chase Griffin is the subject of Kevin's email. I was lamenting with a USC buddy about how sad a season it is when neither Los Angeles school is going bowling and that uh, combing the winds is still a mediocre combined um, is he combining? I'm assuming it means combining. Combining but. the wins. I'm like, what is that? Combing wins? Uh, is still a mediocre total. So wait, what is he saying here? Uh, combi- so okay, combining the wins. They have of- eight combined wins. Yes. That wasn't. Yeah. Gotcha. They're not combed. Uh, so about Chase. So he's talking about Chase Griffin. Uh, isn't he just one year behind Dorian? I got to wonder why he, the Texas player of the year, would want to come to a school that looks to have a starting quarterback only one year older. Seems like he would have his pick of schools where he could start his freshman season. When do we start off-topic, off-season topics? Thanks for all the entertainment. I swear you guys are better than three quarters of the LA sports talk shows. I love, I love it when it's like something like that, where it's probably an honest compliment. Like, oh yeah, we're better than three quarters, but it also reads like such a backhanded thing because it's like, <laughs> wait, you're you're telling me that there's like a quarter of LA sports talk that is like clearly superior to us, and it's just like, oh wow, what are we really even doing here? Um, anyway, about Chase Griffin, um, I don't think it's that shocking. He's not a top level recruit. Um, you know, I don't know that he had his pick of schools. I don't even know what other schools were even offering him. Um, I don't know what other schools have even called since he was named the Texas player of the year. Um, this is an interesting one. This is going, I mean, he was basically, this was an academics kid. Um, he was, I think Brown and Columbia, um, bunch of the Ivy league were after him, but he's five ten, um, which I'm not big on height being a determining factor for a quarterback, but he is 5'10". Um, what that means about his hand size, arm length, all the actual factors that matter for a quarterback, I don't know. Um, we won't get that information until maybe never. Um, but he's a reasonably good athlete, but nothing spectacular. Um, he's not Kyler Murray at that height. Um, so there's... There's reasons why he is not a top-level prospect. Um, he put up some huge numbers in Texas high school league, um, and if you know he turns out to be great, that'll be a sign of Chip Kelly's uh, you know marvelous evaluating ability. Um, but yeah, I don't I, I don't think judging by what I've seen, I don't think this is a missed evaluation at this point. And I you know I don't think other schools are jumping on board going after him too hard. So. Um, we'll see how he turns out. I'm in, I'm super intrigued. I mean, he's put up huge numbers. Um, 
I, I, I haven't seen it. Rocket Arm, some good accuracy, some good decision making. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that fits with what Chip Kelly's doing now. Um, but yeah, I'm very intrigued. I'm interested in seeing what he is um, when he gets on on campus. Um, but yeah, he's only a year behind Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, but I think Dorian Thompson Robinson's probably got that job uh, not locked up. But I think he's got the definitely the inside track at it for next year. Yeah, and as always, don't uh, you know? You don't need to correlate what your high school accolades are to how highly you know highly recruited a player is. Like, like they were saying, if it's mostly Ivy League schools, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, the guy ran for 3,000 yards his senior season and he was this, you know, conference player of the way. Like, none of that stuff matters. Like, are big schools offering him scholarships? That's what matters most. Yep. And we start off-season topics whenever you all want. Go crazy. Yes. I mean, the bowl previews will probably take some time. The bowl recaps will probably take some time. But you could probably start, I don't know, January is nice. Do that. All right. Um, also from Kevin, uh, the streak trivia. So as this contains questions for Dave and answers below, if he doesn't know them, maybe Ryan can read this. Well, I already started. <laughs> Since we just played Notre Dame, I thought about the streak that everyone knows Notre Dame broke. But does everyone know what team did we play in the last loss prior to the first win of the streak? So he's talking he about talking, the basketball. I think it says the is basketball. He talking basketball. Yeah, like you the, can't sneak <laughs> basketball in here, Kevin. This is not you know better. This is not off season, Kevin. And even so, we don't do this. Oh my god! But that's like the long. What was it? How many? I forget. It was a couple years, right? Of you. Was it? Was it? Was it Houston? What the hell was it? Um, but then, like right. UCLA lost on the road to Notre Dame and broke the long winning streak. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who the. I don't think our listeners care, to be honest, Kevin. Kevin, you're on timeout. Yeah, Kevin, you are on such timeout <laughs> right now. And remember, during that streak, we set the record for most wins in a row. What team did we beat to set that record? Oh my God, Kevin. Oh, and he says answers way below. Okay, so the answers are here. Okay. Question one, Notre Dame. Question two, Notre Dame. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. Okay. All right. So basically, Notre Dame has been a significant part of UCLA basketball lore. Kevin, never make us talk about basketball again. <laughs> that was awful. That was an awful experience for everyone. Yeah. Um, we love you, Kevin. We're not trying to be harsh. We're trying to be fair. Well, for only previewing one game, we sure did a long show, David. We didn't do a short show. That's true. Um, but it's not, we didn't, we didn't eclipse two hours. So that's something. Yeah, that's good. Um, we, we kept it under two and we had a great guest and uh, hopefully we get John again, but definitely you guys should follow him. He's got a lot of followers. He does. He's, he's on the Twitter pretty well. Uh, but you know, he's on TV, he's on radio up there. He's, you know, he writes, so he's, he's kind of a big deal up there in Portland. Yeah. People know him. Um, they know who he is. They, he's uh, kind of a big deal. People know him. And he's, you know, he's uh, someone that, you know, he, he's uh, he's going to give it to you. He's going to tell you what he thinks. He's not pulling any punches when he's talking. Champagne, it, it, Champagne Larry was beautiful. That was, that was pretty awesome. Um, that was not. Herocious. That was really, really good. Uh, we didn't really need to use Herocious today. No, we, we were positive. We kept it. We kept it light. 
airy and positive. Yeah. That's what we did. I wonder, I didn't want to, I thought about it like sneaking in at Hiroshis when, uh, Kanzano was talking, but I didn't know if he would, you know, I don't want to like, I don't think, I don't think Kanzano was a, a previous listener. Maybe he will be in the future. So I don't know. That was, uh, that was probably a good idea. Yeah. To, to kind of leave that one off, but, um, all right, David, anything else before we sign off? No, this has been magical. Ryan, at last I cried. Um, <laughs> now here we are at the end and it's like at the beginning, uh, hopeful for, uh, for another, uh, great show. Sweet. Week. Well, we'll be back next week. We'll preview that that Cal Bowl game. Uh, enjoy this weekend's game, and uh, we'll see. You know, good luck to the Fighting Herms, Herm Edwards, and the Arizona State Sun Devils. It's not going to be easy playing the eleven win uh, Fresno, <laughs> Fresno State Bulldogs. The and Fighting Herms. That sounds, for whatever <laughs> reason, that sounds so bad. Does, I'm sounds sorry. So awful. I didn't mean to be disrespectful. Sorry. No. That, no, I love it. I love it. ASU. They, they did so well this year. I mean, finishing second in the Pac-12 again. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, they they it's sort of a short straw you're drawing there, like having to play Fresno State. But uh, we'll see. Could be a, a, a big win, and and you know, help with recruiting and all that stuff. And you get it over with, and you get you know, spring ball starting quick. So it's it's gonna be an interesting few weeks for Arizona State. So we'll we'll keep on top of that. Uh, but that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions. And we will talk to you next time.